Well, it's been a good week. Very good week. We've had some uh, super singing, powerful praying, fantastic fellowship, uh, delicious dinners. Thank you, ladies. And uh, you're back tonight, and for that we are grateful. I like this church. I want you to know that. <laughs> Pete says he wants to move here. <laughs> well, I like you, but not that much, okay? I, I appreciate the elders of this church. My father, my father-in-law for many, many years served as elders of the church. I appreciate your elders and their families. I, I, I appreciate your preacher. I appreciate Bill and, and Rita. In fact, I told Sandra on the way to church tonight, I like Bill and Rita. I like them a lot. They love you and you love them, and that's the way it ought to be, preacher. Loving the church and church loving the preacher. So let me encourage you to do something. Uh, go out of your way to uh, do something nice for Brother Bill. Write him an encouraging note. Buy him a candy bar. Somebody uh, bought me a candy bar. I had it for lunch today. A Hershey's candy bar. Buy Bill a Hershey's candy bar. Uh, send him on a trip. A vacation. Give him a raise. Buy him a car. I can't afford no more now. <laughs> Do something nice for your preacher and he'll love you to death. Now, Bill, is that all you wanted me to say? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it's been a good week, and you're back. We have some uh, congregations represented tonight, and may God bless the study of His Word. It's about God. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. And who knows what God may bring to the table. You probably do not come thinking, you know, when we come to church uh, tonight, I'm going to respond, and maybe you're saved. Maybe you're going to heaven. If you are, rejoice in your salvation. But if you uh, need to be prayed for, let me just plant the seed. Uh, why don't you lead the way tonight? when we sing that invitation song. If you need to become a Christian like Cindy did last night, why don't you lead the way tonight? Just come and simply say, hey, I, I, I want to be saved. I want to become a child of God and we'll take it from there. I want you to imagine that the Apostle Paul is preaching tonight. It's not me, it's the Apostle Paul. What would Paul preach? If the Apostle Paul were preaching in this revival, what would Paul preach? Would he preach about elders and deacons, worship? Would he preach about fellowship, studying the Bible? What would he preach? Well, I don't know, but I have a good guess. I have a good guess. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul said, We preach not ourselves. It's not about us. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he put in these words, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus and Him crucified. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you on this very last night of this revival about Jesus and Him crucified. I'm glad you're here. I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 27. It's the first book of God's New Testament. Last night we studied from the Gospel of Mark, and tonight we're going to back up a book to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 27. Maybe you remember the story. Jesus stands before Pilate, the Roman governor, the guy in charge, and Pilate says to the multitude, Who do you want? Uh, at this particular time, it was a custom to set free a prisoner. They had at least two prisoners, Jesus and Barabbas. And Pilate, the guy in charge, said, Who do you want? 
I'm going to release somebody. Who do you want? They said, we want Barabbas. Set him free. Well, Pilate said, what about this guy? What about Jesus? Let him be crucified. Pilate said, why? What harm, what evil has he done? And they cried out, let him be crucified. So notice what Pilate does starting in verse 24. Matthew 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent, I am free of the blood of this just person, see you to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hell, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they put the robe off of him, they put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of uh, Serene, Simon by name. Him they forced, him they compelled to carry the cross. And then Matthew 27, verse 34, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And then verse 35 of Matthew 27. Four simple little words. And they crucified him. Do you see the last few words that we've just read in Matthew 27? The last three words, they crucified Him. Those are the words that I want us to focus in on for a few minutes in tonight's study. In fact, those three words will serve as the uh, outline for what I want to say. I remember some time ago, a friend of mine said to me, Keith, what if you had one sermon to preach? What would you preach? Uh, Keith, you're a preacher. You preached uh, dozens, hundreds of sermons. What if you could just preach one more time, one more sermon? What would you preach? You know, I thought a lot about that question. See, one day I will preach my very last sermon. It could be tonight. It could be a week or two from now. It could be ten years from now. But one day I will preach my very last sermon. And my friend, one day, believe it or not, one day you will hear, you will listen to your very last lesson. It could be tonight. It could be Sunday. It could be 50 years from now. But one day I will preach my very last sermon. And one day you will hear, you will listen to your very last lesson. Let me be honest with you. Let me, let me bear my soul with you. If I had one sermon to preach, just one, I would want it to be a sermon, kind of like the sermon that I'm going to share tonight. A sermon about Jesus. A sermon about the cross. And if you had one sermon to hear, one sermon to listen to, and all of a sudden you, you take that last breath, 
and, and you slip from time into eternity. I would want it to be a sermon, kind of like the sermon that you're going to hear tonight, a sermon about Jesus. And, and the reason that I say that is because if the cross of Christ cannot move you and motivate you and stir you, if the cross of Christ cannot bring tears to your eyes, joy to your heart, victory to this church, if the cross of Christ cannot motivate you to step out into one of these aisles and to come down to the front to do what's right, hey, hey, I don't know what can. I, I really don't know what can. And, and so tonight I counted a, oh, a great privilege, a great honor to stand before this wonderful Wednesday night audience and share with you a lesson about Jesus and Him crucified. First of all, I want you to notice with me the pronoun they. Matthew says they crucified Him. Who's that? Who's the they? Well, to answer the question... We've got to do some backtracking in the text. It would be like somebody getting up here and talking about the elders of the new Antioch church. Somebody gets up and says, you know, the pastors of this, of this church are good men, and they love the Lord, and they love this community, and they love this church, they love you, and they do this. And Wait a minute, sir, about whom are you talking well, to answer the question, you've got to do some backtracking in the person's conversation back to the leaders, the pastors, the elders of this church. And what's true with that conversation is also true with Matthew's conversation. Matthew says, they crucified Him. Who's that? Look back to verse 34. Do you see the first word in verse 34? The pronoun they. Maybe it's the second word in your Bible. They gave Him vinegar to drink. Who did? Who gave Jesus vinegar to drink? Look back to verse 33. And when they, there it is again, they were coming to a place called Golgotha. Who came to that place? We'll go back to verse 32. And as they came out, who came out? They came out. Who's that? Verse 31. And after that, they, they had mocked Him. Who mocked Jesus? Verse 30. And they spit, a, who spit upon Jesus? Verse 29. And when they, verse 28, and they, Verse 27. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor. And somebody says, Oh, that's the they. The Roman soldiers. And you know, my friend, if you were to ask the average man on the street, maybe the average believer in Jesus, uh, excuse me, sir, who put Jesus to death? You know what he would say? The Romans. Uh, the Roman soldiers did it. Or he might say... Uh, who put Jesus to death? Well, the Jews did that. The Jews who cried out, Let Him be crucified! And directly, that's right. But what about indirectly? Do you realize that you can be involved in something directly or indirectly? Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. It's your day off. Your day off. You don't want to talk to anybody. The phone rings. Your child answers the phone. Hello? And you tell your kid, hey, tell him that I'm not here. Is mama there? Is daddy there? And you say to your kid, tell him that I'm not here. And so Johnny or Susie gets on the phone and says, well, mom's not here. Dad's not here. Parents, parents, who lied? Who lied? You or, or, or the child? Well, directly the child did. He's the one who spoke the words. Indirectly, you, you did. You put him up to it. You had him to do it. Maybe you don't like somebody. In fact, you hate a person, you hate him so much you want to see him dead. So you hire somebody, maybe an ex-con. The ex-con goes out, gets a gun, puts the gun to your enemy's back. 
pulls the trigger, boom, the man dies. Who shot him? Who killed him? Well, directly, the ex-con did. He's the one who pulled the trigger indirectly. You did. You hired him. You paid him to do it. So you can be involved in something directly or indirectly. And that's what I see in Matthew 27. You know what I do? I go to Matthew 27, and I'll be honest with you folks, I don't like to, to feel guilty. I don't like to accept blame. I go to Matthew 27 and I say, they crucified him. Oh yeah, that's the Roman soldiers. They crucified, they crucified, that's the Jews. The Jews did that. And directly, that's right. But what about indirectly? I see somebody else here. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you who I see. I see you and I see me. In fact, I see my name printed in the text. We could just mark out the pronoun they, and I could put in here my name, and I could write in here your name, because we are sinners, struggling sinners. That's why Jesus died. Matthew says, they crucified Him. But I want you to feel, I want you to fervently feel, no, I, I sent Jesus to the cross. I want you to go back to Matthew 27, and I want you to notice with me five words. We, we looked at some of these words briefly last night in the lesson on being a servant, being great, but let's just kind of focus in on five words. They're all action words, they're all verbs, and they all start with the very same letter. The letter that I'm talking about is S. They're in the text. Go back to verse 26. Matthew 27 and verse 26. Then released he Barabbas into them. He sets Barabbas, the robber, free. And when he had, here's word number one, scourged. Scourged. Maybe your Bible says when he had flogged. Maybe your Bible says when he had whipped. And you know, it's so easy to read that without really stopping and thinking about what that was. What was this scourging? Let me tell you what it was not, okay? It was not like a spanking from a daddy. It was not just a little spanking. I'm told that the Romans administered the scourging with a whip, a big old long whip, much longer than this. At the end of this whip, they would tie bits of bone and bits of metal. They would tear a person's flesh. They would strip a man from the waist up tie his hands around a post, maybe make him bend over a post, and then there on that naked back, they would administer that flogging, that scourging. And ladies and gentlemen, when that whip came around the victim's back because of the bits of bone or bits of metal, it would tear his flesh. And I'm told, you know, I don't know, but I'm told that sometimes the man's eyes would gouged out, and sometimes his own teeth were knocked out, and sometimes the man died. He literally died because of the flogging, the beating, the scourging. Jesus did not die. He continued to live only to be tormented. Notice what else they do to Jesus. Go down to verse 28. And they, here's word number two, they stripped. Number one, they scourged him. Number two, they stripped him. They tore off his clothes. And so Jesus not only endured the pain of the cross, he endured the shame, the shame, the shame of the cross. Hebrews 12 and verse 2. But notice something else, verse 30. And they, here's word number three, spit. You ever been spit upon? Ever in your life spit upon? You know, when you think about spit, how much slower can you get than spit? Folks, you spit on the ground. You spit on the pavement. You don't spit on people. And yet they spit on Jesus. And one writer says they spit in His face. They spit in His face. So they spit upon Him. Notice again verse 30. And they took that stick, that staff, and they, they smote Him. 
There's word number four. They smote him. They struck him on the head. They hit him time after time after time. And then verse 31, and after that they had, my Bible says mocked him. Maybe your Bible says word number five, scoffed him. They scoffed him. They dressed him up as a king. Hey, everybody, look at the king, the king of the Jews. So notice what they did. Verse 26, they scourged him. Verse 28, they stripped him. Verse 30, they spit upon him. Verse 30, they struck him. They smote him. Verse 31, they scoffed him. And do you see what I see? In all five cases, in all five cases, Matthew says, he did it or they did it. Five times, they did it, they did it, they did it, they did it, they did it. But again, we come to the question, who did it? Who scourged his back? Who stripped his clothes? Who spit in his face? Who struck him? Who scoffed him? And I say, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. And every time you look in the mirror, you're looking at him. Because we are sinners. Struggling sinners. That's why Jesus died. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the sin that you struggle with the most. What is it? What sin do you struggle with the most? Is it cursing? Maybe you get mad and you blankety blank blank and, and you say words that the preacher on Sunday says you ought not to be saying. Maybe your problem is cursing. Maybe your problem is lying. You just tell lies. You're dishonest. Maybe it's envy. When somebody's on the mountain, you're down in the valley. When somebody's up, you're down because you're just envious and jealous. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and thinking, you know, Keith, I can't think of a problem that I struggle with. Maybe your problem is pride. You're just so proud you can't think of a problem. Maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's unkindness. See, I don't, I don't know what sin you struggle with most. But whatever that sin is, that's why Jesus died. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. None righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. There's no man that sins not, 1 Kings 8 and verse 46. And because we are struggling sinners, that's why Jesus died. Uh, again, Matthew says, they did it. But I want you to earnestly feel, no, I, because of my sins, I send Jesus to the cross. The second word that I want you to notice is this one. It's the word crucified. Matthew says, they crucified. I don't want to die, do you? Is there anybody, anybody in this audience that wants to die? Oh, I, I know that the Bible teaches Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His people. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1. Better is the day of death than the day of... I know those verses. But see, I've never died. You've never died. We, we've never experienced death. And there are many, many ways that I would not want to die. I, I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want to die in a car wreck. I, I don't want to die in a house fire. But I stand before you and I say, Lord, Lord, please never ever let me be crucified. According to a second century historian by the name of Cicero, crucifixion was the cruelest and the most tedious punishment possible. I'm told that the Romans had at least two methods of crucifying a criminal. Sometimes they just take a man in time to a cross, no, 
no nails, no spikes, no blood, no gory scene. They just tie a man to a cross and he would stay up there for a few days, maybe a week or so. He would eventually die of thirst, starvation. Well, that wasn't how they crucified our brother. That, that wasn't how they crucified Jesus. They used method number two, the most common method. They used nails. They, they nailed him to a tree. And the reason that we know that is because after Jesus was raised from the dead, what did he do? He went to Thomas, one of the disciples, and he said, Look, look at the nail prints. Go back in your mind about 2,000 years. And I want you to see that Roman soldier, as he takes the hand of Jesus, and he takes one of those pegs, those spikes, and he places that peg in that proper place. I'm told it was not in the palms of the hands. The palms would rip and tear too easily. It was in the wrist of the hand. Still considered a part of the hand. But, but see that Roman soldier as he takes the hand of Jesus and he takes that peg, that nail, and he places that nail in that proper place, wherever it was. And without blinking an eye, he begins to drive that thing in. The other hand, the other nail, he begins to drive that thing in. One foot above the other foot, and he begins to drive that nail into the feet of Christ. And can't you just feel the pain that our Lord must have found as He was lifted up above earth? And all of His weight is upon His hands and His feet. And in order for Jesus just to breathe, just to take a breath, he has to push himself up while sagging on the cross. He can take in air, but in order to blow it out, he has to push himself up. And he does that over and over and over, up, down, up, down, up, down. And can't you just feel the pain that he must have felt as he moved up and down that old Roman tree? You know, we put crosses on communion sets. Uh, we put crosses on church buildings. Maybe some of you ladies have on a cross tonight. See, to us it's beautiful, right? The cross is a sign of beauty. But I'm telling you, it's the most horrible death in the world. Why did he do it? I'll tell you why. He's crazy about you. He loves you. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And what does he say dying on the cross? What does he say, folks? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Hmm. How do you preach that? How do you preach, Father, forgive them? You know, we can get so mad at one another in the church. If you're to the right of me, you're conservative. If you're to the left of me, you're liberal. If you're to the right of me, you're traditional. If you're to the left of me, you're progressive. If you're to the right of me, you're a Pharisee. If you're to the left of me, you're a Sadducee. And we can call one another names, and we can brand, and we can mark one another... And Jesus just says, Oh, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He looks to his side and he sees a thief, a crook, a criminal. And he says the most amazing words, Today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He looks to the foot of the cross and he sees his own mama. And the disciple that he loved, Mom, here's your boy, son, here's your mama. I'm thirsty. My God, 
God, why have you forsaken me? It is finished. Father, into your hands I give my spirit. And his eyes close, and his heart stops, and his lungs quit. And the disciples flee. And Satan smiles. They take his body down from that old rugged cross and they bury his body in a in a borrowed tomb. A borrowed tomb. It's amazing to me the creator of the world has to borrow somebody's tomb in which to be buried. They bury the body of Jesus in the tomb of Arimathea, Joseph of Arimathea. The rich man. And there's no hope. Man, we, we thought he was the son of God. Was he a traitor? Is he just a fool? Where's God? There's no hope. We thought he was our Savior. And it's dark. And it's damp. And there is no hope. But three days later, on that Sunday morning, the most amazing thing happens. You know what happens? His eyes open. <laughs> his heart begins to beat. His lungs begin to breathe. And up from the grave, have you heard? He arose. He didn't stay dead. He arose. Church, hallelujah, hallelujah, he arose. And all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know what all four of them say? All four of them say that the stone was rolled away. He was buried in that borrowed tomb. They closed that tomb with that stone, and the stone was rolled away. And I used to think, I, I wonder why the stone was rolled away. Oh, I know why the stone was rolled away. The stone was rolled away so that Jesus could get out. Right? And then it occurred to me, wait a minute, did God need help getting out of the tomb? See, I don't believe that God needed help getting out of the tomb. I don't believe the stone was rolled away so that Jesus, God, could get out. I believe the stone was rolled away so that man could look in. And when we look into that tomb, what do we see? It's empty. There's no body, no bones. He's not here. He arose. Have you heard it, church? He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. He died. He was buried. And he was raised. We call this, you have a sign out front, we call it a gospel meeting. It's good news. You know the good news? I tell you the good news. He died for me, he was buried for me, he was raised for me. Thank you, Jesus. The good news, he died for you. Who would you die for? You. Take a lot of love, wouldn't it, you. to die for somebody? Who would you die for? You. It'd take a lot of love to die for somebody. But he died for you, he was buried for you. He was raised for you. Matthew says they crucified. And before we close tonight, let's notice this word. The word Him. They crucified Him. I want to say something. It may be the most important thing that I've said the entire week. So if you've been daydreaming out in la-la land, I want you to wake up and just kind of pay some attention. Uh, here's what I want to say. I'll just, I'll just say it. You, I, we need Him.
Pretty simple, isn't it? We, we need Him. We need Him. And, and do you know what you need most from Jesus? You need His grace, His goodness, His love. But let me just show you what you need most from Jesus. You're in Matthew 27. Go back to verse 24. Matthew 27, 24. Pilate, the guy in charge, takes some water and he begins to wash his hands before the audience. And he says to the audience, I am free. I'm innocent of thee. What audience? I'm innocent of thee. What does your Bible say? Blood of this just person. And what did the people say? Verse 25, don't miss it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood, His blood be on us and on our kids. And that's what you need most from Jesus. In fact, let me just say it like this. You need His grace, His goodness, His love. But more than anything in the world, you, I, we, we need His blood. In fact, let me just put it like this. You can't go to heaven without the blood of Jesus. You can't. You can't go to heaven without His blood. 